literally had a black educator from K through eight. And there's something about the love they got to know me and the relationships they built. My second grade teacher wrote one of my recommendation letters in college. It's the relationships. Welcome to Black Educators Matter. This is more than a moment. It's a movement. Hey, it's Danielle. Welcome to Black Educators Matter. Our goal is to share the stories of 500 Black educators. We will celebrate the impact and achievements, learn from the lessons and challenges, and highlight the important roles that educators play in all of our lives. I'm excited to welcome today's guest to our show. As a do now, please tell us your name, your role in education, and answer the question, why do Black educators matter? Um, my name is Dr. Ayanna Gore. I am the executive director, principal at uh, a high school, Summer Sierra High School in Washington, Seattle, Washington. Um, and... <laughs> I say that too, like Seattle, Washington, you don't see too many people that look like me. So why do black educators matter? We need we need to be seen. Um, our students need to see us, all students, whether they're black, whether they're white, whether they come from a Latinx background. Black educators have, we'd say so much of like black girl magic or black boy excellence, but all of that lives within education too. There's a level of magic that is created in the culture of a classroom between a black teacher and their black students when everybody gets to witness that even when the white students witness that (laughs) it means a lot it means a ton I think about so I've been this is my first year as a principal at my school last year I was the assistant principal at the end of the year when they announced I have a school and the demographics of my school is I have a very diverse school and when I say diverse it's like true diversity not just like oh you got a little bit of representation here and there but like the same percentage of black students I have is the same percentage of white students so they equal out wow so cool and would you really like see a, a space like that and I remember the day they announced that I was going to become the principal and I was moving into an ED role. And this girl got up, a black junior, and she ran through the whole school, which is not normal. She ran in, in our school. She ran through it and said, my principal is black. My principal is black. And it's just, I don't know. It was, it, I mean, I could have just cried. It was just it. I felt so much purpose. I felt so much call. It just like my very being. I hadn't even done anything yet. It was just an announcement, but my very being meant a ton to her. Um, it means a ton to our community. And um, even coming from a space, and I'm sharing, I guess I'm sharing from a lens that like I am in a space where there's not too many people that look like me, where I grew up in Chicago, where there is a lot of black principles and there are a lot of um there's a nice pool of black educators and I'm now in a a place where that's not the same case it just is so alarming um when you see that that effect when somebody doesn't have someone that looks like them um and it also makes me appreciative of like my upbringing and what I did get to experience my first white teacher was in high school Wow. I, when I think about it, my entire elementary and middle school education, 
I have all black teachers. Wow. And I was going to ask you, where did you go to school? So you're from Chicago. I'm from Chicago, yes. I'm from Chicago, from the south side of Chicago. Always got to represent that. And I tell, I was very, there's a level of privilege that I received because I was one of, and I have siblings. I have three brothers and two sisters. And I was the only one that went to a private Christian school my entire K through eight education. My brother went for a little while, then he left, he um, and then he came back. And and they were like small, poor Christian schools on the south side of Chicago. Like, don't get it twisted when I say like private. It wasn't like this <laughs> big like. Plus, you like we really had books. We really had things. It was like church affiliated own schools they mm-hmm. no longer exist anymore mm-hmm. um but the thing about it was it was ran by black leaders and black teachers and i literally had a black educator from k through eight and there's something about the level they got to know me and the relationships they built my second grade teacher wrote one of my recommendation letters in college like my second grade teacher that's amazing <laughs> that's amazing yeah it's the relationships it's that piece that we don't get you don't see everywhere and i mean we're a collectivist culture yeah black people come from a collectivist culture and so when you can have that in a school home where and i say school home right because that that becomes a place that, like i grew up there i learned so much there um people fed it they were my family and when you grow up in a school home that like the culture that that collectivist culture, especially as a uh, a young black student, it was just it was meaningful, and it it painted so many pictures for me. Even though stuff may not have been great at home or what whatnot, I just I had amazing support. Did you fall in love with science in your elementary school? Was it because of one of your black teachers? Ooh, I, you know, yeah, yes, originally. And that's an interesting story. Originally, yes, I am. So my school used to throw these really big, like, uh, uh, science fairs. And I'm also very competitive. Uh, so I always wanted to win. And I, and I think I got that first little taste of winning. So I won, like, the first, I still remember winning a, a science fair in third grade. Uh, what was your project? I was talking about how, um, showing how, um, Fire burns off oxygen. So with the one where you put like a candle in a water, I remember I had my, my mom's cooking pie and I had a candle in there. I put the cup over it and the fire was still burning. And but the fire was taking oxygen from out of the water and the water was rising. I still remember all of it. And I remember my class was like ah, <laughs> and being able to explain it. I think it was that first like oozing eyes. I was like oh my goodness, this is great. And my third grade teacher, Miss Hudson who, oh, I love her. I'm, I, I still know her to this day. Her, She was a uh, a first lady of another church, not even the church that was connected to the school, but she was a first lady of another church. Her and her husband, and I'm bringing this up, it's important because her husband was very involved in our school. Like he ran our chess club. Like I'm a little black girl, eight years old, learning chess from him. But it was all community-based. Like he'd come after school and like three of us would stay and he would teach us this and um, but she did this like science fair in our classroom. It was and it became and it was so popular and it kept going. So each year I would do it. 
and I would win until I got to fifth grade where I had my first black male teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> um, and I learned them I did. <laughs> and but I didn't win the fair that year. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, which is interesting, even when I think about that, right? You think about the statistics, because I said I've had black teachers since kindergarten through eighth grade, but my first black male wasn't until fifth. Yeah. And then I had two out of all of that, K through eight. The second one was in seventh grade, and mm-hmm. that was my last one, K through eight. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I gotta, now that you said that, I gotta think about maybe adding some of that into my work later. But, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so Miss Hudson, like as a young girl, like I think it was that drive, and then it in the science fair. So it was like that competition piece, but then that discovery element. Of like, let me explain this to you. Let me like step by step and feeling so um, excited when like things come together. And it's just like when you put something into the earth, like when you plant something, you see it grow. And that science is just like, it felt so good to accomplish that outcome, have controlled environments. And I think as a child, to like be able to control something, to control an experiment, control it, and like say, I know what the outcome is about to be. That felt good. <laughs> Spoken like a true scientist. <laughs> Truly. So, how did you translate that love for science into you wanting to grow up and teach science? Yeah. Especially uh, as a black girl wanting to yeah. teach science. So, let's say that you became a teacher. So you, you're supposed to teach, like, reading. Yeah, Who, right. How did you teach science? It's funny. In my, I remember sitting in college, when I was in college, and um, I had a black professor teaching chemistry. And ironically, her name is Dr. Johnson. <laughs> and that's my maiden name, is Johnson. And I remember someone in college leaning over and asking me if I was related to the professor. And I remember my friends like, you know, all black people are not re- related. And there's, there's a lot of black people last name Johnson. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, but in that moment, as I looked around the room and realized that it wasn't too many people that looked like me, I went to a PWI where, you know, they highlighted support of people of color. But all of the people of color were not, they were not in the science departments at all. And then even, the, even a few there were a couple, there were like two other young ladies that were in science majors with me. And I looked up second semester and they had trans, they had like switched into nursing. And I was, and so they weren't in my like same classes anymore. So I felt, I think I felt, I mean, back to like, I felt a sense of like obligation that I had to continue. I couldn't even give up, even though a part of me was really also passionate about the arts. While in college, I would do jazz dance. I would do theater. And that's how I discovered my love for teaching. But I felt obligated to continue science. And I felt obligated to stay because of what I represented in that space. And I loved it. I love continuing to discover more. I took a course called Branded Behavior. And when I learned more about the brain and how it works, I was sold. I was like, oh, I can do this for like the rest of my life and, and dig and think about this. But when I went my sophomore year in college, I taught at a camp in upstate New York. It was a sleepaway camp for the entire summer. And my theater teacher 
gave me a referral to do this and I taught theater and it was a very privileged, privileged place. Now my, and, and so, and I was the only black counselor that was not, um, <laughs> that was not in like the help staff or the, there were like some other like hand support in the theater department, but it wasn't anybody that was like with the kids, staying with the kids in a bunch. I was the only black counselor. And we're talking about very rich white kids. And I remember the kids like falling in love with me. Like they were like, oh, we love Ayana. The parents would come to like the visit parent visit days and want to give me gifts. And it was like against the camp rules. You can't give like, <laughs> I remember this. I was like, well, I'm going to take this gift. But you can't take the gift. And the kids, and I remember the kids asking me so many questions about like me, my culture, my hair. They're an 11 year old. How is your hair well, for the record? How is it? Like, how have, is it for people who don't know what your hair is like? I have locks, beautiful locks. And remember, we call these locks, not dreadlocks. Come on. Because uh, uh, black hair is not dreadful. Um, so, Goldie locks can be Goldie. I'm locks in <laughs> my locks. Uh, I love them right now. I have them in my pedal lock style. Um, so, you have body. long locks even right now as yes. an educational leader yes. in Washington. Yes, in Washington. And it's so funny because, like I said, it's not too many people that look like me. And so, even when I put my, I have pedal locks right now, as soon as I'm like, oh my gosh, did you cut your hair? I was like, no, let me tell you. <laughs> let me educate you a little bit. Like, I have my locks folded up like three times. That's how long they are. I'm not going to lie. I was nervous about uh, that a bit in this space. And I mean, even even when I was, I waited until I was named the executive director before I like even colored my locks some more. I was like, I want to color my locks. And I was like, I'm going to wait. But I will say in this environment where there's not too many people that look like us, Seattle, Seattle is a little different. They are very open to natural, like black culture. There's also a very high rate, and I don't know why I haven't studied this, there's a high rate of interracial adoption here. So there's a lot of um like black kids that are adopted into white families. Um that was a whole new dynamic for me. I had never experienced that or seen that. I would say from, um, and I don't know if it's a, the case everywhere, but from the few cases I've seen, um, the white families are very intentional by expo- about exposing their students to like black culture and to black um, people and, and seeing themselves and others. And so it's, it's been a role I've taken on, whether it's my hair or clothes. And of course, while I'm here, you are like, I hear it almost every day. You have an accent. Where are you from? <laughs> Do they say you sound country? Oh, I sound country. You from down. And so now Chicago is down south. When you're in it's, <laughs> it's Seattle, Chicago is down south. They're like, oh, Miss Gore, show us some of them down south moves. <laughs> and I'm like, what? See, that's because what you also have not yet mentioned, in addition to science and your love of the arts, is that you are a dancer. And you hit the floor because you are a trainer. That's why they want to see some of those moves. I know. I know. So I did. uh, I I ran into, they didn't know this, and and 
it was uh, when I first got to the school after a couple of months and I saw the little cheerleading team practicing and I ran in there and I did like a chair and I, <laughs> I told them like a chair that I had from Chicago. And they were like, oh my goodness, <laughs> you got to show us some of those stuff, those dance moves. Um, and I, did, I mean, I have a passion for that. I used to teach a workout class called Hit the Floor which is a majorette style workout class. I love it. And it's so funny when people come to my class, they would say, oh, which HBCU did you go to? And I didn't even go to one. I'm like, I did it. This is this is me feeding off of my, my experience, my school experience, my high school experience, which I feel like was an HBCU in itself. It was. It was a high school. It was. And, and just like, and just a part of my culture. And I just, put that in, I create a class that I think is fun and that will burn. And and so I've tried to like I've done some of that here. I started doing some hit the floor classes in Seattle. Uh it's been pretty good. This is just one of many stories and we want to keep the conversation going. Follow us on Instagram at blackeducators.matter and visit us online at www.blackeducatorsmatter.com. Now, back to our conversation. So you talked about the magic that can happen between a Black educator and their students. How would you describe the differences between being an educator in Chicago and being an educator in Seattle? Ooh, you know, I think that, so one, kids are kids, period, no matter where you are. And I, I've said that to a couple of folks who is just like, I just want you to know, like I've taught in some of the toughest schools in Chicago. Um, I have seen some things heard, had conversations with students that I would hope nobody would ever have to, no educator would have to have. I've seen some things, and then coming here into Seattle, which I would say, um, there's still issues, there's still um, disparities amongst races, uh, but here in Seattle, which has the highest per capita percentage of millionaires, in the entire United States. So majority of millionaires actually live in Seattle. And I mean, you got to think about it. We got the Bill Gates. We got the um, the owner of Amazon. We got the owner of Boeing. We have... Nike? Uh, is he there? Nike is in Portland, which is uh, two hours away. But, you know, it's, it is... Um, Starbucks is the headquarters here. T-Mobile's headquarters is here. Wow. It's a... Yeah, I didn't even realize it when I got here. I was just like, oh my goodness, this is like, which is, but it also illuminates the fact that like, when you think about who has these jobs or who works for these companies, the black kids that grow up right here in Seattle, they do not. They don't. They don't have these jobs. Wow. And so I say all of that to say is that when I look at Chicago and Seattle, the like, the, the gaps still exist. The need still exists. There is a, I feel there's a different level of resources here. It is, but the gap still exists. So imagine, we talk about millionaires now. So imagine where some of the top level schools, what they get versus what some of the students of need where more students of color are and what they get. But I will say this, what they get here is 10 times more than what they get in Chicago, what I experienced. 
do they still, you know how it is in Chicago. Chicago is very segregated. So there is very affluent, but is it segregated by class? So still the zip code funding type thing? It's still a lot of like um, separation by zip code. It's, it's, It's weird because a lot of, there's a lot of Seattle that is majority pretty wealthy um, so you don't find too many, but there's still areas like poor areas. And then when you think about, so waste Seattle is um, split is pretty much North and South. There's no like really East and West, but North and South. And I, and, and people of color tend to stay out South. <laughs> I stay on the, in the South, <laughs> in the South suburb of Seattle. And that's where you kind of, you find majority of the people of color here. So it, which is, I mean, like I said, it's no differences there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the major difference in teaching, and I I hate to, it's weird because like I, I know what I'm about to say, but I'm always trying to like check myself on that because I felt such a big impact when I taught in Chicago. I still got students that like, um, um, that I used to teach that are like grown adults now that send me messages and tell me like how much, they appreciated me as a teacher. I think here, I feel the impact of like what my race means in my work more because it's not too many people that look like me and that, and there's still a lot of students of color here. And so when like a black kid, like I never experienced a kid running around a school building saying their principal is black. And like she can't, and she took a marker, she wrote it on boards. Like she just was like, um, I don't think I would have experienced that in Chicago because you you had you do get to see um, and I know it, it exists everywhere. There's still some areas where like certain schools don't have enough people of color within the schools, but um, like it is. I feel I feel the influence that I can have just by being who I am. I give you an example. Um, so I had three parents. Um, we had a little incident. Right where um, a white student said the N word, it became huge. This huge thing. I mean, like kids are like, "Oh, we got to do something about it." And of course, like this this happens right when I get named um, <laughs> as the principal. So now it's like, okay, now we got to play principal. So something got to happen. Like, <laughs> what's gonna happen? And so in me, I'm like, okay, well, we gotta make this a learning moment. This is not just like like they want me to like like. Yeah. Put this boy out. Like, because he said this, it's like, no, we gotta, like, what do we feed into? How do we learn? I had three parents, three black parents, come into the school building and they said, they came into my office, they sat around the table and they said, okay, tell us what you need. Like, because the reason why these kids are saying it is because their parents said it. <laughs> and they're like, we gotta educate the parents first. Like, you really can't say that. You can't do that. And so, our job, it's to protect you. So you hold a town hall meeting. You tell us what you need. We'll say what you, whatever you need us to say, whatever you need us to do. We doing it for the things that you can't say because of who you are and because of the color of the skin, the things you can't do and say in your space. That's okay. We got you. We'll do it for you because we need you to be safe. And like in that, I'm like in that moment, I was like, woo, okay. Um, I just never had a parent like tell me that or feel very protective of me like that. That like, by any means necessary, you black school leader, 
are going to be okay and we're going to make sure you're okay. So you tell us what you need. That is um, amazing. You've talked so yeah. much about like this sense of community and community school and to know that you had that type of protection and buy-in from your parents is incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. You have been a school leader in Washington. Yeah. You've been a school leader in Chicago. Yeah. How how did your Chicago experience prepare you to be the school leader that you are right now? Yeah. Oh, I think there's so many lessons. Um, connecting to this like community aspect where I don't think I had that as much. Um, and there are some, uh, there were relationships. I learned to like build a lot of relationships with families. Um, um, but I don't think I tapped into it in a way that I, I could have and needed to there as I have done here. Um, I mean, I'm doing coffee chats with my parents now. I, and, and I tried to set some things up like that in Chicago, but it was, it was harder, um, to do that. Um, one of the things is that like, I did not, I didn't have as much development as a young black school leader as, as I should have had. Yeah. And that, and I, and I think that's, and that's all, that's all over the case, case for like black educators, black school leaders. We, we tend to, is research out there. Like we, they tend to not get as much professional development as whites, whether that's, they're an educator or a school leader. And I think what I learned in my past experience was um, I have to like tap into that, build my network. When people are like professional developments, like here, when people say, oh, you can do this or, or they're doing this session. Oh, I'm about to go and listen. Or like, like I'm, I'm going to grab it. These resources, these values, uh, people, I remember somebody telling me one time, like your network is your net worth. And um, I think those are skills that are taught in, like, honestly, white communities from very on. And we don't teach that to black kids. Because and we no tell one. black kids not to be in grown-ups business. And we tell exactly. black kids to get out when we're talking about exactly. finance. We White kids don't, they get to sit at the table and be a part of the conversation with an equal voice. Yeah. Black kids, we we're not supposed to know that, first of all, we are... We follow, if we are good students, then we will follow rules. We yep. won't get in trouble. We right. won't think outside the box because we don't want to make mistakes. Yep. We need to do everything correctly. So now you become a leader. And what are you supposed to do? Right. And so now it's like, I think when I, when I reflect on that experience and I'm learning like, okay, make more connections, go, go for what I like, whatever I need. Brag on what I'm doing. <laughs> These, it's like, we don't do that. It's not in our culture. Because it's, it's arrogant. It's, we would be called haughty, arrogant. And you a black woman right. doing it too? Mm -hmm. You can't do that. How dare you? <laughs> but when I say when, when I say white leaders, educators, they will be quick to say, oh, we done this, or I've accomplished this, and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I mean, let's, I mean, even real, it is still hard for me. I'm still laughing about the fact that, like, when people call me doctor, my teachers are now like, oh, Dr. Gore, and I'm like, oh! <laughs> like, even if my teachers are fella, they mean so much to me. Uh, and they know it. They, like, they, they're, they like, celebrating for me. They're very, like, over the top with it, and I love it. 
because they know what it means to me. They know what it means for our community, but it's still hard to even like say that. And all of that is because it's like, well, I don't want anybody thinking I'm bragging and what this and that. And where does that come from? Like nothing wrong with that. Um, and so I learned to like step into that, to do it in a way like that does not mean that everybody doesn't view it like that. Um, and really tap into, I know stuff. Don't, don't be scared and share out. And I come from a very, um, powerful, strong line of ancestors that I need to tap into it and what my voice matters right now. And I think you brought it like this whole thing that you have right now. I'm like Shandy's narratives and which is in alignment to like the critical race theory by Geneva Gates. She talks about like the counter narratives are needed. And so I'm out here like just trying to share my voice and I will say it in my meetings. I will say it and um, um, to my families and I will connect um, my story to my children. I think it's just important. I learned that a ton um, and I'm getting the development I deserve. And I'm going to take it at any chance. And I think I didn't, as a young leader, I was waiting for it to come to me or somebody say like, oh, okay, you know, we're going to give you this when it was more of like, I was scrapping on my own. Like, you better do it. Like, you got to show up and make these outcomes and, and nobody really feeding it to me. And now I'm like, okay, I'm going to feed. I'm going to get it. And that's the part earlier, before we started recording, you just talked about the power of every moment and how everything matters and it it prepared you for where you are today but um I think you said it best when we learn that we come from a line of very strong ancestors and we have agency and we have power and we reject that imposter syndrome and actually listen to ourselves and follow our voice and our passions and figure out what magic we can create and pour yeah. into the next generation. That's the part that I love so much yeah. about all of this. Yeah. And you have a daughter now. Yes. <laughs> so you as a black girl from the South side of Chicago who fell in love yeah. with science, grew up, became a leader in your community, moved across the country became a school leader, excited a junior so much that she ran around saying, my president is black. (laughs) So you, why is it important for black women mentorship? Why is it important for women to protect and lift other women? Oh, it's so important. You're right. I do have um, a little three-year-old girl. Um, And even beyond me, I, I think about like my own, representation like what is she learning about when she watches and sees me even down to my hair where like she has this thing now because my hair is really long when I take my hair down she's like oh mommy your hair is like Elsa and I'm like uh okay like that's I don't know about that but (laughs) but the thing is like in her eyes right now there's no difference right my hair is just as beautiful it's just as grand. It's just as magical. It's no like, oh, that looks different. Um, and so we have to protect our girls. We have to mentor our girls. And I, and I started there with thinking about like that outside appearance or the mind, our minds, protect our minds and feed into them. That like it is okay to be 
beautiful. It is okay to be black. It is okay to lead. It is okay. It's okay to be assertive. It's okay to, you know, step into this and, and take what you need. And the only way that this can happen is seeing more representation, seeing it. I think, uh, I think a lot about, I had this one teacher, um, Miss Perkins, my English teacher in high school. Darnisha talked about her. Dr. Darnisha Miller was on. Really? Yes, and she talked about her. See? But that lets you see the impact. Like, imagine what impact this woman has had. Where I remember her, like, I remember her Delta thing sitting on a desk as a teacher. And that was my first introduction. I was, I mean, I was a first generation college grad. I didn't know too much about it. I know it from the culture of black culture and the movies and I mean, everybody knew school days and all that stuff. So I knew it like <laughs> Greek of fraternity was growing up. But my thing was like just seeing somebody so proud in their culture and who they were. And she just was so firm. And she was just so relaxed. Like when September, like my, my initial thoughts of like when 9-11 happened in high school is, and it happened in somebody, it happened in my science class happened in my physics class and then I after that class I had Miss Perkins and that was a class where like okay Miss Perkins let's talk it wasn't it even though like in, in physics it was business as usual we were still doing the work and doing a project but in class it was that's where I got like my social emotional uh, from is with that teacher we would sit down we would talk and she would be so much into us I remember getting ready for prom and she would give advice like her representation her her unofficial mentorship I mean she probably doesn't even know she did that unofficial like left a lasting impression in my life and made me think about like what it looks like to be just such a phenomenal woman and educator and like I wanted to continue to do that and I want to do that for other ladies and I, I am very I was always very open with my whole process like when I first cut my hair to grow locks, I did this like as a first year teacher. Like people, my students are looking at me like, "Why would you ever cut your hair? When does a black girl ever do that? And <laughs> like for what purpose?" And um, being very open about that, and um, I have like mentor young girls that I taught that like have to have abortions, that have um, have to talk to their parents about things, that have just going through all types of like crisis, walks of life, faith, et cetera. And it's just so powerful when you have someone that looks like you and could connect to you and relate to you. I remember growing up, there used to be, there used to sometimes be that girl that would say, I don't like girls. I don't like females. And they get on my nerves. And it's the most ridiculous thing ever. Like when you think about it, because how do you not like something that's just like you? <laughs> and, that, and it is that's, I mean you gotta think about that um, and I used to hate that so much even growing up because I just thought it was just so powerful when I could be around other women that were um, appreciative that would feed into you that was like like your girl your girlfriend whoever you be in a, um, um, that could uplift you and you could just be like emotionally naked in front of and not feel concerned. I think our children need that. Our girls need that. Um, and I think that's why a lot of that, like that whole like black, 
black girl magic and those things came from out of that because it is powerful when you have that. It is so powerful. And it's so powerful when that same connectedness extends peer to peer in the workplace. And as leaders, when black women extend grace and kindness to other black women, like it is incredibly powerful. Are there any black educators that you would like to thank? You mentioned Miss Perkins. Um, yeah. Anybody else that poured yeah. into you? Yeah, go ahead. Yes, definitely. I would love to thank Miss Taylor. Well, sorry, Dr. Taylor, because she just got her doctorate. This is my second grade teacher. She's been motivating me forever. Um, thank her just for all of her wisdom and also um, um, showing me that it was nothing wrong with being bouncy. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Taylor, uh, Miss Hudson, um, and Mr. Crenshaw, my seventh grade teacher, um, black man, taught Spanish. Um, I, I had never seen a black person speak another language before I met him. And he did so much. And just like who he was, his representation, he was very Afrocentric. And he exposed me to so much around the like the beauty of our culture and the royalty within our culture. And so I would like to thank him for f planting that seed into me. It may not have flourished at that time, but it definitely came out later on in life. <laughs> <laughs> so where can people connect with you if you are doing any um, anything where people can follow you, if you're doing any virtual workouts, yeah. any coaching and development, oh, yes. you know? Um, I say follow me on LinkedIn if you want to like hear more about things that I do education-wise, webinars, and things like that. Um, at Ayana Gore, Dr. Ayana Gore, um, on Facebook, there I have a group. Hit the floor, you can join it. Um, that's Ayana Gore. There, I am going to be doing some virtual workouts. Would love for folks to join, and because I mean, Black girls work out too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those two spaces, I post a lot of different things just around what I'm working on right now. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been such a pleasure catching up with you and learning you. more about all that you have uh, done. Everything that you've done here, Seattle and beyond. It was, it is, and it always will be worth it. So thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Black Educators Matter. Remember, make excellence equitable and thank a Black teacher today.